Thanks, everybody, for listening to Shop Talk Show. This week, we have a very special rapid-fire episode. Just me and Dave and no guest, and we... And we <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and it's just question-and-answer stuff. That wasn't even a gun, that last one I did. We have two sponsors <laughs> for you. I'm going to tell you about at the top of the show. Environments for Humans. They do excellent conferences, a lot of online conferences. But this next one coming up, February 17th through 19th in Orlando, Florida, is called... In Control Conference. Both me and Dave are going to be there. That's good enough reason to go of any. We'll tell you a little bit more about it later in the show. And Harvest, time tracking for anybody who uses a computer, iPhone, or iPad, or anything and needs to track time and invoice and stuff. It's really sweet. We'll tell you about that uh, uh, more later in the show, too. It's at getharvest.com. No, it's not. What? Yeah, it is. I was just kidding, you guys. It's at getharvest.com. Show as we already said, and so elegantly, elegantly, yeah. we already said this is another rapid fire episode. <laughs> 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 oh man, having zero Mouth problems with the soundboard today, so uh, we're really excited to be here. Um, yeah, Chris, what, for those who haven't listened to a rapid fire episode, can you explain what it is? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to it. I mean, we just, we just, we just, it's, there's no guest this week. And a lot of times we do these on purpose because we get so many awesome questions from you guys that um, uh, sometimes when we have a guest, which is the ideal perfect for Shop Talk Show, we can't get to as many questions as we'd like to. So hopefully we can get through more of them and get us caught up on questions as we do these rapid fire shows. So that's the plan here. Well, I'll kick one off right away from Alan. Can you do the last name? Jimenez. Jimenez. Dang it, I'm the worst. You're the official last namer. Uh, who just asked a very simple question. What do we think of Kirby CMS? Uh, the URL for that, if you've never seen it, people at home is getkirby.com. I've been hearing a lot about Kirby recently. Haven't you? Do you feel like it's yeah. been showing up? Well, I feel like uh, Jessica Hish, a previous Shop Talk guest, redid her site on Kirby and seems to be quite yep. a fan. Yep. No, I mean, it sounds like it's a pretty amazing piece of software. I I would uh, consider using it for sure. Um, I've kind of already, so I guess we should probably explain what exactly Kirby does. Do you want to do that, Chris? Well, it's a CMS, so it is a system for creating content and making a website out of it. Its subgenre of CSS, perhaps, is that it's kind of, I guess, a static site generator in that the files that you put up on your website, there's no there's no MySQL database, for example, which is mm-hmm. how WordPress works. You write a post, you save it, it goes into the MySQL database. When you request a URL, that URL has some PHP code on it that goes and asks your database for that content and then displays it on the site. That's fine. There's nothing awful about database-driven CMSs. That's what databases are for. But 
it's kind of cool <laughs> to not have one. It is a bit faster to not have one if you're, and I would definitely put these, these CMSs in the category of they're nerdier than, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. than your average CMS. This would be a harder thing to pass off to a client. Not that it would be impossible, but uh, a bit harder, I'd say. And then it's, you know, and so there's, for example, then also less security problems. You know, like so, yeah. if somebody breaks into your database, that could be a problem. And so if a site doesn't have a database, there's one less point of entry for security. Now, when I say kind of, I, I've never built a site on Kirby. Dave, you have some experience with static site generators that your blog is on. Uh, which one is it on? Oh, Jekyll? I'm on Jekyll, yeah. Okay. So I I like static site generators. I think they're great. Yeah, this one, Kirby's kind of that, and then it's kind of like a, a hybrid because you can use PHP in it, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's static, but it's PHP. So it's like there's no database, but it's still like is running server-side code. Yeah. I have some questions like does it have caching? Is that all done uh, by something else or is that done? Yeah, you know? is it just memcache? Um, like bring, bring your own caching? Yeah, bring your own server-side varnish or something like that, which would be just fine, I think, you know. Um, I, I I think it's great for uh, – we did – for the Paravel site, we did like this totally home-cooked uh, kind of CMS sort of thing, just static files. But uh, it was just kind of a home-cooked little project um, for – to make that site and maybe you know leveraging something like Kirby or something like that would have been a lot – easier for us. Um, you know, just taking the hassle out of like hand coding individual pages and convenience functions like this would have more or less like bundled that up. So I, I think they're probably pretty cool. I think it's worth taking a spin. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just blindly put your client on it. I would, uh, I, I would, uh, yeah, install it on your first or something. Yeah. yeah. Put it up for some dumb side project you have. I don't know. Um, it does kind of look like I, I wonder, you know, I, I, your content's in Markdown. So in some sense, you'll always be safe that way. And then if you needed to, like, move to Jekyll or Octopress or something, your content is fine. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I mean, this is two guys talking who've never used it before. So we're trying to <laughs> tell you looks pretty good and things to watch out for and whatever. I would use it. What I like about it is, is for one thing, it costs like 30 bucks or something. Which mm-hmm. I think is nice because I think it, it it means that this this the developers of this project it kind of sounds like it's one guy but I'm not sure mm-hmm. Bastion um, makes some money and is kind of dedicated to supporting and I like that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with totally open source but uh, and there's there's parts of this that are open source too the stuff that makes sense to be open source is open source it seems like yeah and it just seems a little for a little more developer-y, you know which I, I i think i kind of like some of that stuff like mm-hmm. and you know you you still have all your content and markdown files so it's definitely not locked to this mm-hmm. yeah whatever no it's cool it, they got some tweets and you know tweet plugins and all that happening so it's kind of yeah. Um, community enthusiasm is high on it too in my, in what I get. So, you know, my gauge, that's, that's yeah. something. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that's, I think it could be really cool. Um, I think if you're talking about blogging, like whatever can get you to blog the fastest is probably the best solution. So it could be a Tumblr and I'd say, yeah, that's a good choice. You know, why not? Yeah. So, 
I don't know. This may be cool, yeah, for like company blogs where you don't want to install WordPress and have a database and all that stuff because they're actually never going to use it and they only use Word, Microsoft Word files or something. Yeah. You could, uh, you could do that. There's an option. So, well, cool. That's my sound effect for today. Uh, next question comes from Jens Bottom. Uh, you've talked a bunch about CSS preprocessors lately. Do you use Compass 2? If so, do you have any Compass plugins you'd recommend? I stumbled over Caesar the other day, which is a really cool tool to handle cubic bezier easing and for animations and transitions uh, and can only imagine there are some fantastic ones out there that I'm missing out on. So, and then he links to compass Caesar. Caesar was a website that kind of had all these like uh, different kind of cubic yeah. bezier functions. And yeah, uh, I haven't used Caesar. This is interesting. Okay. Well, there's a lot of interesting things going on here. Yeah. What should lot, we do first? Okay. The first question. We talk about CSS processors, the CSS preprocessors. Uh, do you use Compass 2? Yes, I, I do. And I like that it was phrased that way because the, the preprocessor itself would be SAS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. the language. And mm -hmm. then Compass is this optional thing that you can put on top of it if you want that gives you some extra stuff. For example, all of the CSS3 stuff. A mix-in to handle for something like gradients, which is very convenient and nice, comes from Compass, not SAS. Yeah. Although, I, even though I've been using it for a long time, I know Chris Epstein, who's one of the leads on it, it still eludes me in some way all that Compass is. Because it's it seems like it 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 kind of takes over when you start using Compass uh, mm -hmm. in a way you have this mm -hmm. like special configuration file for it and it does all the watching and stuff for you it handles some it, it can do some fancier stuff far beyond the CSS three stuff like there's a spriting abilities for it and it does it does all kinds of different stuff if, if me personally all I've ever actually used in a production site is is the CSS three stuff of Compass mm -hmm. really never used anything else now this is interesting in that this is a the caesar thing that jen's brought up here it considers itself a compass plugin not a sas plugin and so a lot of the other stuff you'll find out there would be like oh here's some buttons for sas mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. for compass and i think the reason is in this case is that it, it depends on existing compass mixins and then gives you even more on top of that right yeah, that sounds right. Okay. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. just spitballing here. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's also interesting, though, is, is that, well, here's an example then. Okay, now you can use um, transition, and then you call this Caesar function, and then you pass, you know, Caesar parenthesis parenthesis, and then you, you pass a string in there called, like, ease in. And that seems interesting to me because you already got ease in, ease out, all that stuff is baked into CSS already. So I wonder what does Caesar do that does it just give you more of them or nicer of them? Yeah, it maybe yeah, it gives you like a whole bunch more. So there's twenty six different kinds of easing where like HTML has five three or maybe? four. Yeah. Okay. So you just get more of them. Yeah. So you get like ease in, ease out, and maybe I don't know if those are different or not, but like those are 
probably a little more graceful or something, you know, not, I'm not, I don't know that. I don't know, but, uh, if someone, well, and, and it can also go, it, it can go, okay, God, this is a hard thing for the radio, but cubic <laughs> bezier is a way for you to define a curve from, so imagine a square and there's a curve that goes from the bottom left corner of that square to the top right corner of that square. And it could look like a, a slope where it starts out very gradually and it gets steep really quick or it could start out really steep and get um, flat very quick. And that's all fine. And, and those ease in and ease out and all that stuff map to a curve like that. The steepness of it being how fast that transition is going to happen. With cube, cubic bezier, that curve can look crazy. It can, it can be like a jagged line. You know, it can it can mm-hmm. do all kinds of weird things. It can also go outside the bounds of that box, meaning that like if that that transition will go further, you know, like, let's say you're transitioning from from 100 pixels to zero pixels. If you use a cubic bezier that it has a curve that goes outside of that bind, it won't just animate to zero. It'll go all the way into the negative values and then come back to zero, making mm-hmm. a little bit of a bounce. Mm-hmm. So that's what Cubic Bezier is all about. This plugin called Caesar for Compass looks like you you define Caesar and then give it this string that has already one of those predefined curves, and it just maps to Cubic Bezier. So it just mm-hmm. it does math for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do we use no, that too? <laughs> and the final question is now that now that he's found this, are there more things like this that we use? And I would say I don't know either. Really, I have never used anything on top of yeah. I I want to say there are a couple like like you can get a nine sixty grid plugin for oh yeah Susie or whatever yeah um you can get I there's got to be like a Bootstrap plugin for Compass or something like that um but uh, that's all to say uh, I don't know I think of Compass as a collection of SaaS plugins you know. Uh, that's why I use it. And, and I think you're kind of a fool for not using compass just cause the, the CSS three stuff, which you were talking about, Chris is so helpful. Uh, totally. I, I feel like you just, it writes CSS for you. Basically. Writing your own mixins is a fool's errand. I think it, using compass it, it keep, will keep up to date for you and enforces consistency across your own projects. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. Now, if you only use the CSS three abilities of compass, what bourbon is, is just the CSS3 part of Compass. Now, not officially. I think they're different developers, different people or whatever, but it's kind of like a CSS3 library for SAS, mm-hmm. but just that. And that's all it will ever be. That's not, not all the other stuff of Compass. I, and that's cool. I, I think that's a really important um, kind of switch. So. It, yeah, it's nice. It depends on who keeps more up to date, who does a better job. I mean, can it handle all that crazy compass gradient stuff? Maybe. I, I haven't looked at it. I need to get into it, though, but just because I use um, so little of, of, of compass's abilities, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I, might, I might check it out. We'll see, though. It, it looks like it's the exact same API, too. So, mm-hmm. like, switching would be not a big deal. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think uh, right. we're checking That's out. Cool. Boom. Okay, Brian Stedman wrote in, said, "Love the show. I've been starting to implement responsive designs using name media queries with SAS. Chris, this is right up your alley. This has been mm-hmm. working out great. I was wondering though if there's a way to change variables based on the media query. Here's an example of what I've been trying to do unsuccessfully. So, 
uh, dollar background green. So that's his variable. Background is green. Uh, yeah. And then at breakpoint mama bear, background pink. And oh, break at, point. at this breakpoint, he changes the variable's value from green to pink. Mm-hmm. And then at breakpoint uh, papa bear, or extend breakpoint papa bear, yeah. uh, background blue. So, and this is just pseudocode to show us an example of, of this happening. Yeah, yeah. This is non-production. <laughs> uh, yeah. But he says it's not working. Do you know if that's possible? Can you – you do a lot of named media queries. I like, doubt it. You don't think yeah, so? Yeah, but – yeah, name, a named media query isn't really a thing. What it is is just a – it's a mix-in that you write. And the mixin accepts a parameter that's a string, probably. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, if string is mama bear, then output this media query in the normal CSS3 syntax of a media query, brace, brace. And then in between the braces, put at the at sign content. And then it will, like, whatever you pass it, it will just, like, barf out into content. Into content. So it's just a, a handcrafted mixin that just, like, takes something and then depending on what string you give it, it will barf out the stuff in there in the right media query. So it's just yeah. kind of nice. It's a, it's a really nice way to, to – pretty much everybody I know who's, like, using SAS is, like, writing media queries in this way. Uh, and it's super, it's super sweet. Can you then change a variable in there? I don't think so. And, it's, and Brian is verifying that, that that doesn't work. The question is, I would like to see the use case of why this is necessary. Is it like, why don't you make a variable that's called background green, background pink, and background blue, and then anywhere inside there, you just use that one. Color. Just use a different, use a different background, use a different variable name. And you're gonna, it's it's it might even like make more sense in the code. Uh, I could see it maybe padding. Like, let's say you wanted to triple the padding or something like that. Um, like you had like a margin mm-hmm. variable and it was 20 pixels. And then you want to change all margin variables on the page yeah. to 40 pixels. But And you end up using that, you end up using dollar sign padding like yeah. 20 times in there. And, and changing the math 20 times seems pretty unsass like yeah. Well, and that's just it is like the variables are referenced when they're output, you know, like, um, like you're, you're trying to, by changing just a variable and hoping it fixes downstream, like you're saying like SAS import everything and spit this out, you know, like you, you, it SAS would have to go through your whole style sheet a whole time and print it out inside that media query. So yeah, I I think it's just a limitation, but it's probably a healthy one, you know. Maybe. I'm trying to think. Like, So you always have to remember, SAS compiles down to CSS. You know, So whatever mm-hmm. gets output has to be CSS. But it seems like it could – it kind of seems like this should be possible now that you put it that way. It seems like you should be able to just, I don't know, change that variable in that one spot. and Yeah, padding is a good one. But I mean, there's got to be a different way to handle it. Like why can't you set – well, so like, let's use background. So in my breakpoint, my mobile first, it's green, right? In my breakpoint, mama bear, it I want to change it to pink. So mm-hmm. then, SAS is going to have to go through every single rule where I defined background pink, and it's going to have to grab those rules, and then it's going to have to spit out those rules, you know, uh, in an orderly fashion. Which, I, I mean. 
that's okay, but it's like you're basically saying read recompile my CSS again and then spit this out, but you know it doesn't execute it's in just order. Efficient. It's, it would be a hard thing to, to parse or whatever. Yeah, I still think it's like use use padding ten pixels, then make a new variable that's called padding mama bear or whatever, mm-hmm. and and it's equal to padding times two. And make mm-hmm. a third variable that's called padding papa bear, and it's equal to padding times four. And then use that root variable in those breakpoints instead. So you're still only, you're st- it's still easy to update. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. That, that's good. <laughs> Dennis LeBlanc asks, I've been managing a fairly big website for the past five years. Uh, and since we've upgraded the CMS and e-commerce component several times. So in the five years, they have a CMS. They've upgraded both the CMS and e-commerce parts several times during those five years. We've cur- we're currently in the process of cleaning up the style sheets. And I think a good place to start would be to, to, be to delete all the unused rules. Do you guys know of a quick way to go about doing this? I've heard of some sort of site crawler that could be used to automate the process. That's good thinking right away because... Because, of course, you could possibly write something, you could probably even write something yourself in JavaScript or something that could test one page. They could be like, is this selector used or not? And figure it out. The question is, CSS is designed to be used on lots of different pages. So you need, it doesn't matter if it's that selector is used or what does matter, but it's, it's, it's not as vital. If it's not used on one page, it could be used on another page. So you need to go through every single page of your entire site to figure out if a selector is used or not. Mm-hmm. How would you do? Does this ever cross your mind? Yeah, I mean, so I think like two things could help. You know, uh, currently going through like a a refactor. You know, so like you're you're cleaning up a whole bunch of style sheets. This is a really good time to like like start uh, like modularizing your CSS, right? Um, so then let's say you have dot module dot foo and you know, no modules across the site have dot foo anymore, or even that module dot module, I don't know, module bananas. You have no module bananas on your whole site anymore. Why did I pick bananas? This is really weird, (laughs) but you have no module bananas on your site anymore. Like you killed that feature. Just then you can rip out the whole block of CSS, you know, um, so I, I think like that's a, a very good step in the right direction. Um, you know, go ahead. I'm just kind of like looking around at some links and stuff that talk about this. Uh, I like what you're saying in that, in that, in that you should know, like that, that's my preferred technique. I should open with that. How you should approach this is that you, it sounds like your site has gotten away from you. And the ideal situation is that you have such a good grasp on this site that you kind of can tell what CSS is being used or not. And if there's a bunch of just pile of CSS sitting around that you just have no idea what it is, you need to like reacquaint yourself <laughs> with what, <laughs> with, with what up in this world, you know, and, and hope maybe, you know, if you're working with Git, maybe you could make a branch that's called like crazy CSS town and just start messing with stuff. Just like throw away some CSS files that you're not sure what they do anymore and stuff. And yeah. and, and then it's like risk-free, you know, like this, that, that branch you'll eventually just destroy or whatever. Uh, so, so that you, you're, you're safe and you can, you can make crazy changes like that. That's a way to like force yourself to get back reacquainted with the site without, without like feeling worried that you're going to break something. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing is there's a I'm looking at a blog post here by Corey Balau or Balu something I suck with last names. Uh, if you open the Chrome and it says you know it's it's showing you a way that you can see unused CSS selectors, which is the root of this question. Open up Chrome DevTools. One of the tabs is called Audits. Just go to Audits and select the stuff, just everything, I guess, and then just hit Run, and it will give you an audit of that page. One of the things that it tells you is uh, it's just it's just ideas for you to make this site better. Uh, and I'm running it on the site that this blog post is on, and there's, like, all kinds of stuff. There's, like, f- f- five or six... CSS files loaded on the site and it tells you what percentage of that entire CSS file is being utilized by this site. For example, the style.css file on this blog post site, 67% of it isn't being used and it gives you a big old list of uh, selectors that just aren't being applied to anything. So literally your exact question that you're asking, Dennis, is can I, how do I find these unused CSS rules? Chrome DevTools will just tell you. We'll give you a whole list of them if you want, which is good. Although the case is, of course, here, this is only one page. So you have to, you know, browse around and be smart about this. Well, yeah, like I just found that on my site um, and and it said, like, you're not using 30 percent of your CSS file, you know, and it's stuff like table caption iframe, you know, which yeah. that's not on my homepage whatsoever. Right. So. Uh, I, of course, it's I'm probably part that. of normalize or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. then you're, it doesn't mean rush off to normalize and remove that. It means like, oh no, that seems like a reasonable selector that I want to have around. Yeah. I mean, you could just like, what a, old school, like print this list out and highlight <laughs> where it's being used, uh, and then figure out, you know, oh, maybe I could just use this class instead. Cause I know that exists or something like I have weird, yeah, I have weird. I have, like, post, post header, post date, post TLDR. Like, I'm not using all of these, so I should probably just fix that. I don't know. <laughs> or or standardize, you know, break it down into a smaller class or something. So, anyway, that's, yeah, the audits tool is your best friend. And it's right under your nose. So There's a Firefox one, too, but just that just seems so antiquated to me not that i'm like anti-firefox or whatever but for this purpose i would i would switch over to chrome for a second and use mm-hmm. uh, like a tool that's like being super duper actively developed you know yep well cool Boom. All right. And the next question is from lavi uh writes and says do you ever use inherent in css values inherit in C- as css or as a value in CSS. It could be useful sometimes, for instance, when you have to set the color of an element according to the context. Example, and he includes a link to a dablet, which we'll include in the show notes if you want to look. Uh, but then he says, I don't know. I know it doesn't work on IE7, but is that the only reason not to use it? Um, so his dablet's a pretty, like, uh, pretty awesome thing. Like, he's just... Like, okay, he has a a body color or a body, right? He has a heading color, and then he wants, like, this news thing to be a, its own color. Um, and then he wants all the links and the headings to be the same color, like, have the same kind of text color. So he's, like, basically news item star color inherit. So everything will inherit the right color. Uh, yeah. 
a like okay, you have an H three and it's dark gray. That's your general styling for dark for H threes across the and, entire and site. Links but then blue. you have a module. Yeah, and links are blue. Then you have a module that's like a, just a chunk of that page. In the module, you just say color is brown instead of dark gray. Well, that doesn't help you because the H3 inside that module is going to get, it's going to win the thing. It's going to be color dark gray because that's color just doesn't cascade Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Or it it kind of does, but it kind of doesn't, you know, like if you, if if, this is one of those weird things about CSS that like needs to be like taught more, I think Mm -hmm. is that like, it seems like news item because I know we're not all looking at this just, but it seems like because it's in a, in a widget and that widget has a class name and I set the color on that class name that has a higher specificity and it should win and it should be that color, but it's not true because it's not targeting that H3 specifically. The H3 has a rule on it that says color gray. And just because it's parent has higher specificity, it doesn't matter for that H3. You have to set that H3's color again, but you could set, you could tell that H3 inside that module to be, Hey, just be the same color as my parent is, Mm -hmm. which is where inherit comes into play here, which is pretty neat. Really? Yeah. Dave explained that too. So with (laughs) with both of our explanations, with our powers, explanations combined. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, lobby, I, I think you can use it. You know, uh, except for the IE7 thing, and um, yeah, that uh, bit me in the That's butt. True, it just it just doesn't work in IE7. It Inherit just doesn't. Nothing. Six and seven doesn't work. So honestly, in my day to day CSS, it doesn't come up all that often. Yeah, <laughs> to be totally well, honest. That's true. I mean, like for me, like it doesn't. You know, like I would love to use it, and I I was using it, and I was feeling very clever, and then. Uh, on a big site I worked on recently, it requires IE7 support. So uh, we had to be kind of specific on everything or, or just kind of class yeah. everything and use it. So Yeah, which isn't the worst way to work anyway. Yeah. I mean, go, looking back, though, I should have stuck with Inherit and then done a separate IE7 style sheet, right? Because then I could have just, like, brute forced IE7 in 6 and 7. So I don't know. That's, that's a hard question to answer real quickly like that. Well, I mean, you could do, you could do star, you know, and then it's star is a terribly malperformance selector, but you know, it's I seven. So, yeah. <laughs> but is I'm, it, you know, like it is when it's selecting hundreds of thousands of things, but if it's selecting like eight things and six modules, it's really not a big deal. Even in I seven, uh, I heard of a cool, I saw somebody do a cool thing with inherent on CSS triangles. You know how like you could have a div and it has some border radius on it and then you want to make it look like a speech bubble. So you use a pseudo element and you're like, and then you, you know, like you set the pseudo element to like zero, zero width and zero height and you put the border on it. So it makes a triangle in CSS mm-hmm. and the border color for that triangle. You have to make sure that the border color for that triangle is the same color as the background color of the parent element. So that the speech bubble effect works, you know, it looks like a continuation of that shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that, now you're setting the color twice, which is a little annoying, which of course you could use SAS for and use a variable or whatever. But in native CSS, you can have that border color, some inherit somehow, even though it's weird because it's two different properties. There's some magical trick to make it work. 
like maybe it by default does inherit the background color or something or you set the you set the border color on the parent and just let it mm. inherit yeah at okay. least then you're setting them right next to each other instead mm-hmm. of in two totally separate selectors Interesting. that's a little better anyway whatever you get cool. it well cool man uh well good luck lobby i would i would use it and i don't know come up with more instances where it could backfire i think that'd be yeah cool. it would be an awesome blog post of good and bad use reasons to use it yeah. boom <sighs> should we do a sponsor james oh i am the worst i'm just thinking I- we're we're getting into the show so we are. We might even have to do. Let's do one, and then one question, and then another one, because we we owe these sponsors everything because they make this p- possible to do. We really, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of oh, the show. Buddy. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and if there was no sponsors for it, we probably wouldn't even do it. To be perfectly honest with you, I love it a lot, but it, they, these people need to stick around for all of our sakes. <laughs> one of them who is, has been a sponsor before and they're back because they love us and we love them. It's harvest at getharvest.com. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's simple online time tracking. So you can go on their website and use their really super nicely designed uh, uh, interface to track time. Otherwise, they have apps that you can use for, for your Mac. I think it's a, like a, a, a – I haven't used it in a while because I don't do um, client work so much anymore. But everybody I know that does do client work, they track their time and they use Harvest to do it. It's a menu bar app that you, where you can you like start and stop the clock to, to time them, which yeah, is yeah. a fair way to uh, – uh, to bill your clients, which is good. And it does cool stuff. Like if you like, you know, like somebody calls and you're like, yeah, I'll play badminton with you right now in the middle of the day. And you go do that and forgot to hit stop. It knows when your computer goes idle and it will stop that clock for you. So you can't screw it up, you know, and charge your clients for like three hours. You were playing badminton with them, which I think is pretty cool. You can try it for free for 30 days. So it's a freemium thing. Check it out. After your trial period is over, you can use Coupon code shop talk for 50% off your first month, uh, which is pretty sweet. So time tracking, awesome apps. It does, you do reports of that time and then you can invoice your clients as well, right from that. So it's like a multi trick pony. That's good. If I was going to do that ad, Chris, I would have said like money, use harvest. (laughs) (laughs) Android apps too. All right. All right. All right. Going forward. uh, Please check them out. Yeah, uh, where am I? I was going to do this one by uh, James Holding. Apparently, this is going to be the preprocessor show, which is fine, because not all of our guests like talking about preprocessors, but both B and Dave use them, so this is appropriate. I am new to preprocessors, and I've used SAS for a recent project. I have to say I've enjoyed this workflow. However, if I start using this for all my projects, I fear I will become too reliant on using SAS for projects, such as advanced mixins, for example, and I forget how to write normal CSS. <laughs> I also like to have control with how my CSS is written. I'm very efficient in CSS, hardly repeating anything. And I like OOCSS, but I feel like SAS sometimes repeats code when I look at the output. It's not as efficient as I would be, uh-huh. even though this all gets compressed in the end. It still bothers me. In short, do you guys feel you'll eventually lose control of basic CSS? You know, using SAS, yada, yada. You get the, you get the point. Like, does SAS, is SAS like hurting our final CSS output? What do you think, Dave? You take it. I think very strongly that you just need to let it go. Uh, like, yeah, I can write better CSS than a computer, but like the computer is helping me do my job. It's helping me like write less 
code throughout the day, write less CSS, that becomes more manageable across my whole entire team. Um, and as far as like forgetting how to write CSS, like that's not really a problem. Cause I mean, I can go into code pen, paste my, my SAS and get the CSS output. Like, you know, like I can look at the output really quickly. Um, and yeah. so, I mean, well, I, yeah. but what if, do you think there's a moment where that output will stop meaning anything to you? It will, it will look more unfamiliar than SAS looks. No, I, no, I, mean, I don't think so then either. Cause CSS is a very limited language, right? It's, it's properties and values like, Name, value, name, value, name, value. It's it's not super complex, you know. SAS I would is, worry more about CoffeeScript or something where the output looks so, so different. Right, right. You know, if, like, like if you only ever learned CoffeeScript, it would, it would look weirder to you to look at regular JavaScript because there's all these like closures all over the place and variables getting tossed around and weird logic to follow. But CSS is so simple. No, I don't think I'll ever like forget how to write css even if it got to that point which would take a lot i think you could re-familiarizing yourself with how basic css works wouldn't be that big of a deal mm-hmm. it's not such a complicated language that you would just i i anyway. i totally agree i i think if you're worried about how your css output looks like i i don't know what to say like just stop looking at it you know, it, there may be like two extra rules or one thing that gets, you know, if you extend it, it would be like comma something, you know, that's bothersome, but man, it, oh, and like the, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's really pretty efficient and it'll make you and you. And it should be compressed anyway. And it's gzip. So big deal, which he knows James is aware of these things. Yeah. Here's the final thing though. SAS doesn't do anything super duper magical. You, if, if you have an ideal of how you want your CSS to exactly look when it's output and, and now I'm not talking about indentation and indenting and, or anything like that, but like what the exact selector is and what the exact values are there, you can write your SAS to output that. Mm-hmm. You have direct one-to-one control over what SAS compiles to. So if you have this gold standard of what this final CSS should be like, you can make it happen. Right, right. If you don't like the selectors, you know, write your C- write your SAS how you want it to finally be. That's that should be your guiding principle at all. So anyway. yeah, exactly. I mean, you could write your perfect CSS inside a SAS folder, and then you're just leveraging SAS for the uh, concatenation and compression. Well, there you go. You know, you do that too. Like you're probably over nesting. You're probably using mixins that are too heavy handed. You probably used an MS prefix that doesn't exist or something. I was surprised at how many people popped up in some thread recently. I can't remember what that they just to do CSS three, they just have one generic mix in and it just takes what their property and value is. And just, uh, it just appends prefix dash webkit Moz O and MS in front of every single one. I was like, OMG, you guys, (laughs) (laughs) Chris, Chris, (laughs) no, I don't. Yeah. That's exponential, man. So that could be right. that could be a lot of extra lines of code. So yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think use compass and use SAS. It's really good for you. So let me do environments for humans. Yeah. Uh the URL that you should go to is two thousand and thirteen dot Dot com. So the early bird pricing is over. Very, very sorry for that, but you can still save Gosh, is it a hundred bucks? 
I think, I think it's, it's a, a hundred bucks, man. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna spice it up though because I saw Ari tweet, who's one of the organizers of this conference earlier, and she in the tweet, which was public, said that you can save two hundred bucks if you use the code Escape Winter. Hey. So the general public code is better than the shop talk code. You might as well use that one. Ah. Yeah. Yep. Both me and Dave are gonna be there. Yeah. Uh, Megan Fisher is gonna be there, and you should see the slides Megan puts together. They're crazy. They'll like make you want to never design anything again. <laughs> ben Gallahan, Josh Clark, Brad Frost, Zoe Gillenwater, Dave McFarland, Samantha Warren, Glenda Sims. Wow, it's going to be awesome. It's at an awesome venue. It's very, very comfortable. The hotel is sweet. It's in Orlando, so it's super warm. There's palm trees everywhere. <laughs> Beautiful. It's going to be I can't wait. Relaxing. I can't wait. I, you know, it's, it's coming up soon, like by the time we release this episode. So what you're going to have to do is, like, get there. And make sure you get there. But if you don't, like Environments for Humans, you should like follow them on Twitter because they have so much stuff going on throughout the year. Um, man, like they they have all these online summits and stuff like that. So uh, you, if you listen to the show, you're familiar. But I can't wait till the next JS summit. So awesome, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and back to like the SAS discussion because this is the SAS episode, right? Uh, I mean, the last CSS summit had a whole day. Uh, related to SAS, you know, uh, at the CSS DevConf, dude, every example almost of, of CSS that I saw was in SAS, you know? So it, it's like they're on the cusp of like CSS trends. So you, I got to run some stats at CodePen. Yeah. Those. Just to see. I know SAS will win, but. That'd be smart. It would still be cool to see. Yeah. Even which flavor of SAS. So. Awesome. So uh, go visit them. Uh, next question, Rob Birkins wrote in, Robbie, hey, has there ever been a time working as a freelancer where you just don't know how to do something? How do you explain that to the client? Is that something outside of your wheelhouse or may take time for further research and implement and design a feature? Definitely lie. Definitely tell them that this is your wheelhouse. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, yeah, the best practice here is lying your face <laughs> off. Um, I mean, I think you got to be transparent with the client, you know, and just say, like, you know, you don't want to hire me to do that. I'm not, you know, you want to find somebody who can do that. Like, well, I don't know. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be better to have a plan? Be up front and be like, listen, this isn't my thing, but this is what I would do. Because even though it's not my wheelhouse, I still have more experience in it than than they do. Mm-hmm. You know, you at least can guide them to the correct decision. And, and here's some suggestions of people you could possibly hire. Or why don't you let me do that and I'll hire them. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. You need to be the expert. You know, exactly what yeah. Chris is saying. Have a reference. Have a a backup or some kind. I don't know. I think, I think that's really important. So, I mean, what if you hired like a guy to trim your trees and you're like, Hey, can you get those bushes too? And he's like, no, I don't do bushes. And he just took off. You'd be like, what WTF dude, you're the guy that seemingly to me knows about foliage has <laughs> sharp tools. You're like, I hired you because you're the dude with the can seemingly do stuff like that. And, yeah. and what a turnoff it would be to just, to just have you walk away from me like that. Right. Um, I know, you know, some bush trimming. I know, you know, <laughs> you know, a guy at least yeah. that should be. Yeah. I mean, that I, I think you gotta be helpful. Chris is right. If you're the one more and we're done. Yeah. One more and we're out of here. So.
You got it? That's fabulous. I will. Luke, oh, which one is more interesting? I already started to say his name, so we have to do yeah. it. Luke Seeger, you win. There's another guy. I'm not even going to say his name. He's going to have to go next time. I'm looking to make a contract for my web design services. What would you suggest? And what are the keys, do's, and don'ts for contracts I tend to charge on a per project instead of hourly? Thoughts on this also. So where, where do you, what's the deal for contracts? Man, uh, so I am not a lawyer, right? <laughs> so don't listen to me. Um, I think you need a contract for sure. Um I would, you know, the standard like freelancing agreement from like AIGA or something like that is pretty. AIGA.org slash standard agreement. Is that what? The only thing, reason I know about this is because I listen to the BizCraft podcast and that's their standard answer too for this. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was going to say BizCraft. I've been listening to them. They, I mean, they get into contracts and stuff like that. Um, Daniel Mall and his kind of business guy, he, they just started a businessology podcast all about business. Um, so there's another good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy and um, oh yeah, Andy and Anna uh, over in the yeah. UK started unfinished.biz podcast. I think uh-huh, so, uh-huh. dude. Lots of resources there. Uh, but what I can say, you know, things you're gonna want just based on even listening to Bizcraft, like even today, is like you know, uh, kill fee, super important. <laughs> Um, it just seems like you shouldn't go into something without it. Um, uh, I mean, make sure like property, like IP and stuff like that is well-defined. Um, I, I don't have any tips there, but just make sure like, you know, you're not going to get, um, you know, like stolen, like, cause you used a columned layout and somebody's going to sue you or something or I don't know, weird stuff like yeah. that. Um, uh, there I've heard the man, this is crazy. This one from AIGA is like 150 pages long. Dude. Wow. It probably covers a lot of stuff. Although I've heard from people in the past and I, and I always feel a little weird talking about this cause I don't do client work and I've never had somebody sign a contract in my life. I do think it's an incredibly good idea. And if I started doing client work tomorrow, I would absolutely have a contract just because I don't know, like I'm a grown up now and that's what grown ups do and like cover their ass in the future essentially. Yeah. Uh, but if you're, if you, if you absolutely can't deal with this or this 150 page contract freaks you out, just having an email that says, I just need something. I need to say that this is what I quoted you and that you agree and send me an email back that, that acknowledges that, then at least you have that, like mm-hmm. that's binding. And not, like, you know what I mean? Like if yep. you're, if you're going to do nothing, at least have that email thread kind of ready, ready to rock. Yeah. Or some kind of proposal with like signature lines or something, you know, like that they could yeah. print out and send back to you and, uh, with your first check, hopefully, <laughs> you know, when I was hiring illustrators for the CSS tricks redesign, I would say that most of them, uh, it's, you know, cause it was interesting cause I was hired like eight in a row, you know, I'd say like five of eight maybe had a contract for me and, um, were one pagers mm-hmm. and I just signed them and send them back. Yeah. I mean, man, I would, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think you just sign up. You get something to sign, something like that. Um, My favorite thing is the, how it sets the tone properly for the relationship t- also, mm-hmm. that, that, it, that it sets this formal thing, like this is a formal business transaction, and, and they might like that. Mm-hmm. It might not be this. It's not a turnoff how you might think it is. It actually could be the opposite of it. Mm-hmm. I would also, uh, 
I would establish how you're going to get paid possibly in the contract, have like a a line about that, or maybe that's something you agree on um, in, you know, over email or something like that. But um, yeah, you, you don't want to get eight weeks into a project and then have them disappear. That's kind of the big thing. So you want to make sure either you had a deposit of some kind or a first payment or a split payment or something just, or, you know, yeah, cover your, your wallet bases, your cost of living. So, cause indeed. All right. Well, cool. I think that's all we have time yeah. for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is, this is fun. I hope it's useful for everybody. Yeah. You know, and even if we don't always have the perfect answer for something that you can, then you can, maybe you do have the perfect answer. You can chime in. In the uh, in our little discus comment threads in the comment, you know area. those those have been going off lately, so it's pretty really awesome. Have. I'm glad we did that. Yep, it's a it's an awesome little deal. So if you got tips or something, uh, yeah, just leave a, a little a uh, little bit of feedback. Works out. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. You guys. Yeah, we'll, talk to you later, we'll talk to you later, guys. Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>